just leap and build the wings on the way down. You'll be able to do it. Don't worry about it. Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast, episode number six, presented by HippoDirect. I am your host, Max Brandstetter, and this week we have something very, very special for you guys. This is the first time in podcast history we have a hippo and a koala on the same podcast. That's right, you guessed it. Serial entrepreneur Mike Koala has joined the show this week, and he has tons of amazing stories about his entrepreneurial journey, even his entrepreneurial journey his super unique philosophy on travel, and much, much more. So, enjoy the show. Alrighty, today we have an amazing guest, a, a wild guest that really goes with our animal theme here. This, I think this is the first time in podcast history that a koala and a hippo are meeting up together to talk about business trends. So, without further ado, I am super excited to introduce Mike Koala to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. Mike, thanks for coming on. It's a jungle out there, and I am happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we're, we're super excited to have you on. I uh, Real quick before I hand it over to you to introduce yourself, I actually discovered you through Twitter, which is ironic because I know you've been building businesses and you've been an entrepreneur long, long before Twitter was even conceived. So it's kind of funny how things turn around, but I know that you're, you're a serial entrepreneur. You've got your dinner MBA program, which is really cool. You have a couple different podcasts. And what I love about your podcast is they're really short and sweet, but I think you do a really, really good job of in just two minutes or in just 10 minutes, hitting on a lot of powerful stuff and have a lot of really cool guests. So I love the the sort of the, the niche that you're in right there. Appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, so that's Entrepreneurs GSD. Um, you have another one for your dinner table MBA program, but we'll get into those later. Anyway, do you mind taking a, a couple minutes just for anybody that isn't familiar with you to give a, a quick background of sort of your story, where you come from, what businesses you've been in, and what's the biggest thing you're working on today? Yeah, so I, I grew up in a, in a family of marketers. My father went to a marketing agency, and from the age of probably six or seven, I used to every summer spend it going to New York City and you know working started off in his mailroom and just doing different stuff. So always enjoyed the, the entrepreneurial background. You know, had various lemonade stands. You know, the newspaper ads, all this 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 crap that we all do as uh, you know young entrepreneurs, right? That are really excited about the future. And uh, but for whatever reason, I um, pulled back and went to college, um, and then ended up working on Wall Street for ten years before jumping back into the entrepreneurial space. So I'd always kind of been involved in side hustles, I guess you could say. But on 9-10-2001, the day before 9-11 came home from uh, working on Wall Street. Wife, it was probably like nine o'clock at night, said, hey, you want to go out and uh, uh, grab dinner? Now, we never went out on work nights. It, it just wasn't a thing. But she said, let's go out. And obviously, I could tell she wanted to talk to me about something. So like always, I ordered my uh, drink, gin and tonic, looked at her. She always orders a Bacardi and Coke. And for whatever reason, she didn't order one and found out uh, that night that we were about to have our first child. So, uh, you know, went in that next morning and uh, resigned from uh, my job. It was probably the worst time to consider doing it because it was, uh, you know, half an hour later that the planes hit into the World Trade Center. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, fortunately, um, they loved me. Um, 
and, and let me kind of stick around as I was um, building my business on the side. And, you know, from there, uh, it's, it's been a wild roller coaster. I've had several different businesses, uh, both online, offline, in the franchise world, in the, you know, startup world, software side. Some have been uh, big wins. Others have been bigger lessons. But, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about them throughout this interview. So that's amazing. I mean, you've you've done so many different things in such a wide range of industries. Can you speak a little bit about what the difference has been from your time on Wall Street to your more entrepreneurial career? Because that's a very intense difference. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I I will say I've always been an intrapreneur. Yeah. So regardless of you know, and, and that's somebody that takes you know, even if you're working in a nine to five type of job, which I never have had that. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I treated the business like it was my own. So, you know, when I worked on Wall Street, it, it was a little bit different in the beginning stages because if you ever saw the movie Boiler Room, that's the actual firm that I worked in. So it was 44 Wall Street. And, you know, if you saw that movie or, you know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, that was 100% true. That's the way the life was. Um, I made 500 dials a day, seven days a week I was working. And, you know, that was over 100,000 plus cold calls a year. Um, so, you know, it's insane. Uh, the, the life was crazy. Uh, it was one big party after another. Uh, but it wasn't for me. When I realized what they were doing with the stocks and manipulating them, I, um, I left and I went to Morgan Stanley, met my wife. That was probably the best thing about there. And then I went to a smaller firm, which was called Alliance Capital. And I moved up fast inside of that company. And one of the things was, is again, I took that intrapreneur um, attitude. So me and a handful of guys started a small department um, with the approval of uh, the, the company. And lo and behold, you know, everybody there said it wouldn't work. But, you know, within, uh, I guess, three years, we grew a billion dollar division for the company. Wow. And it was through, you know, basically uh, cold calling through. Um, I moved more into a marketing role. So every night I would come up with like five marketing ideas that financial advisors could do to grow their business. And we started back then it was faxing. So we <laughs> weren't even emailing because of regulation. So we would fax. Um, sales ideas to these folks, and then they would just recommend me to other people. So it started off in like Raymond James, LPL, Edward Jones, like all these smaller independent brokers, and it just grew and grew and grew. And you know, eventually we were sending it to you know tens of thousands of folks, and you know our business just you know it grew fast. So to answer your question, it was um, you know I treated it as though it was mine, right? And yep. so what changed was when. The division grew and then everybody started looking at it from, you know, the greed aspect of what Fortune, you know, Fortune 500 companies do. Right. And it became a big division of the company. They then started coming in and kind of like putting handcuffs on us. So as an entrepreneur, that's where I just, you know, I couldn't handle it anymore. And so, you know, at 9, 10, when I came home and my wife said, I'm pregnant, that was probably the best thing because it was like, you know what? we're ready to be entrepreneurs. I, I can't have those handcuffs on anymore. So, you know, um, it, it's been great. I mean, it's, uh, you learn every day. That's what I think you have to, as an entrepreneur, be open to doing. You have to be, you know, testing new things. You have to be paying attention. You can't run from problems. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you got to look at problems and look at them as opportunities. And that's really what it is. So, um, you know, I was an early adapter. You mentioned uh, to Twitter. Uh, so in you know 2007, I had a you know 2006 actually um, I had an account, but in 2007 
I was using it for a local cleaning company. I was using it for my online company when we were selling office supplies. I mean, I remember doing social listening when nobody was doing it. So, you know, like Staples wasn't on an office depot. So what we would do is we would go on and use Twitter advanced search and listen for people who were in the store complaining that they weren't getting customer service from Staples, right? Wow. And so if somebody was complaining, we would jump on. I remember once somebody was in there trying to get questions on a desk. It was Han, H-O-N. It's, it's like a big desk that's in offices throughout the, you know, the, the world. And uh, they were complaining. And so we jumped on and started a conversation with this person. This person stepped outside the store, called us. Our customer service rep started helping them out. The next day, they placed a $26,000 order because they were in there for a large business in the local area, and they weren't getting customer service. Now, since then, you know, larger brands have learned to to pay attention to online. But, right. you know, it's, again, being an early adapter and just saying, how can how can we be different? How can I compete with the big boys out there? And there's always ways. There's always ways to kind of carve your own niche. For me, at one point, it was Twitter. Then, uh, you know, content marketing has always been a big one for me. And mm-hmm. you just kind of learn, but you have to keep that open mind. Wow. Yeah. And I have a ton of questions. So can we extend this for like seven hours? By the way. <laughs> well, first one on that. So I know, I mean, I love your Twitter and you obviously have a huge influence there and you know, met a ton of people through that, I'm sure. Love the koala emoji, by the way. Thank but you. first question on that is what's, because since you mentioned you're an early adapt, adopter for Twitter, what's the biggest thing you've seen change in Twitter over the past, well, what's it been, 11 years now? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot's changed. So uh, automation is, um, you know, one thing that a lot of folks were using Twitter for, right? And so my previous company was a software company where we automated uh, to an extent the following and unfollowing of folks because, you know, Twitter and Instagram are two platforms that are very easy to do social listening. So for instance, if, um, you know, my primary company is called Dinner Table MBA, and, you know, that's where we share life's recipes of success with parents. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to help parents, you know, control, you know, this crazy world. A lot of folks depend on our education system to to teach kids, but in reality, we are all homeschooling our kids come three o'clock whenever that school bell rings before they go back to school, right? And so what are we teaching them? And so we, provide parents with good content that they can then in essence be talking around the dinner table with their kids. Mm -hmm. So for me on Twitter, what makes sense, and I do this on Instagram, is anytime that somebody's, you know, mentioning hashtag parent, hashtag parenting tips, hashtag, you know, mom's life, (laughs) that's a popular one, Um, dad life, we will automatically follow. And because we're following the right folks, what will happen and you can do this again on Instagram too, yep. is they're going to what? They're going to come and, you know, like a lot of folks don't realize, but the average person on Twitter, the average person on Instagram, Twitter, I know for a fact, the average person is following less than 220 people. Wow. So when somebody follows them, like for me, I've you know got over 100,000 plus followers. Mm-hmm. When somebody follows, my notifications are going off every second on Twitter, <laughs> right? So it's really hard for me to notice something. Whereas the average person, when they get a notification that somebody new just follows them, what are they going to do? They're going to go and say, well, who's this guy, Mike Koala, just followed me? Or who's Dinner Table MBA? So what they do is they go over and look at the account. And then it's like life's recipes of success for parents. And then they look at all of our content. And you know, the first thing right there is 31 questions you'll love asking your kids other than what's for dinner. Gotcha. And so you know, like right away as a parent, they just tweeted 
mom's life, right? Or, you know, dad life or whatever they tweeted. So now all of a sudden they come over and it's like, wait, so subconsciously they're going to be like, you know, I'm going to follow this person back. Oh, and I'm going to click. And next thing you know, they're going down a rabbit hole for digital marketing, right? And so um, you can do this on Instagram. You can do this on Twitter. Um, it works really well. And so, yeah, it's uh, I, it's back to what I had said before. You have to be willing to you know to test things out and and you know be an early adopter. Right. Absolutely. And I think advanced search is such a powerful tool on Twitter. And then we know hashtags are even more powerful on Instagram. Way to get discovered. And I'm sure advanced search was even more powerful back at the start, as you mentioned, when you were getting rolling with Twitter. You know, you have a huge follower base and you're always getting notifications. How do you manage that? How do you decide who to engage with, you know, how much to pay attention versus unplug for a little bit? So what's that like from your perspective? Yeah. So, you know, again, I am a father of three, extremely active with my kids. So Monday through Friday, you could say I I pretty much reply to as many folks as I can. I'm on a lot of podcasts and written up in publications. And if somebody takes the time to engage with, you know, a podcast that they've heard me on, I think it's my responsibility to, you know, be appreciative and either, you know, engage back, thank them or answer the question that they have. But on the weekend, I do tune out, you know, a little bit. So you're not, I might push out content more on the weekend, but you're not going to see me as engaged as you would, let's say Monday through Friday. But, you know, I think you do have to find that balance. Um, I think, you know, in this world uh, it, that we live in right now, digitally connected everywhere, um, it's also important to at times take, you know, a digital detox. And so whether that's, you know, for 12 hours during a day or, you know, an entire day or, you know, an entire week, you, you've got to find what's comfortable for you. Um, I know for me, um, I don't have notifications turned on on my phone or else I would probably go insane. Right. <laughs> right. Um, they're going off all the time between, you know, like LinkedIn and, you know, Facebook and being tagged and all these different things. So right. um, I think it's important also as a parent, Right. And so, you know, um, we have to spend our quality time because how can we tell our kids to get off the phone when, you know, you, you look around and mom and dad, you know, it, it disturbs me greatly when I go to restaurants. And so, like, you know, you look at a family out together and everybody at that table is, you know, looking at the phone and not talking. I mean, you know, studies have shown that kids are less likely to use substances and not to make this a grim you know, reality. Part of my big why of why I started Dinner Table MBA was that between the ages of 15 and 24, 1.8 out of every 100 students will attempt suicide. That's just a, a fact. And how many contemplate it isn't even calculated because they, you know, it's hard to, to figure that out, but they know it's a higher number. And you look at it, you know, the facts, if, if we sit down and talk, right, with our families. So I think digital marketing is amazing, right? I think all this stuff is phenomenal, but I think also it's important to, to set boundaries and to say, when am I going to turn off? And when I'm on, what am I going to do? I just did a post this morning on LinkedIn. I don't know if you and I follow one another, but Not yet. one of the things I said was, don't just randomly go down and accept all connection requests. Like a lot of people do that, right? So they're like robotic. They go to Facebook and it's like all these new friend requests, right? So you accept them all. And then they go to LinkedIn and they accept them and they've got all these followers on Twitter. But a follower doesn't mean anything. And a connection, a co- the word connection, are you truly authentically connected to that person? Right. So take the time and, and look at them. And so that's, you know, for me, I will not go into LinkedIn to accept, you know, um, new connection requests unless I can set aside that half an hour to say, let me look at these 30 or 40, however many folks want to connect 
and really see, is there any synergy, right? And so you and I are both in digital marketing, but it's, you know, now we're doing a podcast together, right? right? And so it's through that connection. And then who knows what we'll do in the future together. So it's things like that. And we live in a world where I think it's Jim Rohn that says, right? It's your, your network is your net worth. And that, that's just so true. So true. And keep an eye out in about half an hour for my LinkedIn request coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> but I love your philosophy on, on engaging with people's social media. I remember, I mean, you know, personally, it was really impactful for me. Um, I thought it was so cool how the first time I tweeted at you and and I saw, you know, I just, I saw your tweet in my timeline and I thought it was a cool quote that I related to. And I saw that you had such a big following. And even then, I mean, you still responded so quickly and you never know these days with, you know, with so much automation, how many people are actively engaging with people that reach out to them versus, you know, just setting their posts up on a schedule and not really replying to people. 100%. I agree. Absolutely love that. And it's, it's clearly worked well for you. One, one quick more thing that you mentioned earlier that I don't want to miss before we go on. You mentioned one of your previous roles, correct me if I'm wrong, you said you got to $1 billion in sales in three years. Yeah. Wow. This was what we had done is we, it was a mutual fund company. So um, we had, I don't know, I believe just under 20 different mutual funds. So at the time, one of the big ones was a technology fund that was just you know, flying and doing phenomenal. So it was one of the best ones on Wall Street. So what people would do is if they were doing asset allocation, they would, you know, like make it as part of their portfolio. So if they were investing, you know, in somebody's IRA, a hundred thousand, maybe they would say 10% would go into a tech fund, right? And so if somebody was to invest even $500 into a fund, every morning we were looking over these spreadsheets and, you know, at this time, um, you know, it was so old and <laughs> it was different than the, the way things are done today. But um, we would look and then we would find that contact information for that broker and reach out to them and just call and thank them for participating and then learn more about their business. And so now all of a sudden, let's say you had, you know, like one of my big accounts was a bank called Hibernia Bank out of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And so it started off with just a handful of guys that were investing in our tech fund and maybe doing, you know, $100,000 a year. Well, by the, you know, within 12 months, these, this was a big bank in Louisiana. I got them up to doing over, you know, I don't even know, 30 or $40 million with us, just this one bank, right? And so now multiply that throughout the country with a handful of guys, you know, it was all about relationships because these were small brokers, like, you know, like a bank, Hibernia Bank, nobody's ever heard of it, right? Bank mm -hmm. One at the time was very small. Edward Jones, that's a small local office. A lot of these bigger wholesalers in these mutual fund companies, they would go into like what, a Merrill Lynch or a Dean Witter, Morgan Stanley, right? Where there were dozens and dozens of brokers. They weren't going out to see just one guy, but on the phone, we could create that relationship with that one guy and become friends with them. And, you know, like at the time we could send them golf balls and, you know, to the guys that would do like, you know, 10 or 20 million with me a year, I would, you know, occasionally go out in the field and, you know, visit with these folks, bring them out to dinner, treat them well. And, you know, next thing you know, they're doing, you know, a hundred, $200 million per division with us, you know, between a handful of guys, it was very easy to, to grow that up to a billion dollars plus. Wow. Did you have that billion number in your mind beforehand or just kind of get to that point? The, the individual that um, had this concept really just saw that there was a huge, huge opportunity because there was, you know, there's so many brokers throughout the country and 
like Merrill Lynch and Dean Witter and all these ones, you know, I go, that we hear of, and I keep saying Dean Witter, you can tell how old I am. No, it, no, it's, no. <laughs> it's, they do a lot of business, but like if you're a local entrepreneur, let's say, and you know, you just sell your business and let's say you sell it for 5 million bucks and you know, what have you, sure, you might have a relationship with a local brokerage firm, but you know, there's these local independent advisors who are very active in the community, like, and these individuals have connections with people like me, the entrepreneur, that when we sell our business, you know, we're more, or at least I was more likely to invest with that local independent advisor versus going with a big firm that might not have my interests at heart. Maybe they're just trying to pump whatever product that they have that they need to sell at that time, right? So we saw the opportunity. Um, it was a hypothesis that you know we tested and we gained some momentum and then utilized technology to you know its fullest capabilities, right? Which you know technology at the time was a fax machine, believe it or not, right? Mm -hmm. A phone. Now we think of technology as different things, but you know those were new at the time, and we took advantage of it. Wow, that's incredible! And I got to say, Mike, you have officially have the first billion dollar story in the history of the Wild Business Growth Podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> that's all we can ask, right? Exactly. Hi, this is Greg Brandstetter, founder of Hippo Direct. Has all this wild growth talk made you hungry for some new customers? Well, here's your recipe for success. Hippo Direct can help you acquire new clients using proven methods such as postal mailings, email marketing, and targeted ads on Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We can even create a customized leads and prospecting database for you. So check out hippodirect.com and contact us today. So one of the big things that we cover in this Wild Business Growth Podcast is creativity and more specifically unleashing creativity. You know, it's always fascinating where entrepreneurs find their inspiration and how creativity plays into their everyday lives. So first question on that is what I just said, actually. How does creativity play into your, your everyday life, whether it be professional or personally? Yeah, I, I think um, it's it's being observant, right? And so I mm -hmm. I pay attention to everything. I pay attention to you know I go, when I go driving down the highway and I look at billboards, right? How observant are you to saying, oh, I recognize that that billboard is all throughout the local area that I'm in. If that billboard is everywhere in your local area, well, then chances are. That's proven. That's working, right? That's creativity. And what what is the copy that they're using, right? Because you know you're in, in direct mail, right? And so somebody might spend a thousand dollars in direct mail to see if something's going to work. But when somebody's spending, like I used to spend, you know, multiple six figures a year in direct mail, I knew what worked and I knew what didn't, right? Yeah. And so from a creative standpoint, I think it's being observant. Like when you're in your Facebook feed. Are you just scrolling down, looking at friends? Or are you actually looking at like ads, mm -hmm. right? When I go into Barnes and Nobles, I'll spend a ton of time or even at the checkout line looking at magazine covers and, and reading you know, the copy. What is it that gets somebody to take an action, right? That's just so powerful. And I think as entrepreneurs, we need to pay attention to that. Like earlier, before we got on the phone, um, have you ever heard of MentorBox? It sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of Ty Lopez's and companies and they's invested in, but the company's exploded. And it's really interesting because I see their advertising everywhere. So I pay close attention to that. And so I, I think, you know, from a creative standpoint, we all need to be doing that constantly. Yeah. Do you have any tips for staying observant? You know, just again, be cognizant of it. When you see something repeatedly, why is that happening? Particularly with advertising, right? Because again, if you see something just once, that could be a test, right? 
But when you start to see something, like if, you know, I think you and I were speaking about Netflix before, right? Right. So if I see something from Netflix repeatedly over and over again, there must be a reason behind that. And I think that's what we have to pay attention to. Right. That's a great point. Besides being observant, what other things do you do to stay creative? Um, get outside your niche. So whatever your business is. So for instance, if you know, you're in uh, the marketing space and you sell marketing or what have you, you know, um, and let's say you sell marketing to fitness people in the fitness industry, go to somebody in the travel industry, right? You know, a lot of times it's funny, you know, Facebook, um, you know, obviously made some changes, right, to the advertising platform. Yep. And I'm in some Facebook groups and it's funny to, and it's not funny, but you know, like you hear all these people panicking and saying, oh, the world is over. You know, like Facebook no longer allows you to target X, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And so they're panicking because they're so stuck inside of their own niche, right? I remember, you know, back to billboard advertising in the tobacco industry used to be one third of all billboards in the U.S. advertising, right? And Congress made a change in the, I believe it was 1989 or 90, what have you, that the size of the actual pack of cigarettes, right? That was the maximum size on a billboard that you could have the cigarettes. Imagine that. So you're driving down the highway. You know how big these billboards are, right? Mm-hmm. But the biggest that a pack of cigarettes could be is the actual size. <laughs> so it, it virtually, that, that would be like looking at a dot, right? Like a fly on, on, a, uh, on the wall. It killed that. And that was one third of billboards. And everybody said like, you know, in the billboard industry, oh my God, the billboard industry is done. I remember when, you know, there became laws on cold calling and then there were laws on canned spam. And then there were laws on direct mail. Like what I'm getting at here is that the way to stay creative, try to get outside your niche once in a while and learn about what's working. Because the great thing about marketing and just sales and, and entrepreneurship is you know, nobody's got a monopoly on good ideas, right? And so if you pay attention to what's going on, even in verticals outside of yours, you can learn a lot. Yeah, absolutely. There's tremendous value in that. And it's funny you mentioned that some of the earliest guests that we've had on this podcast mention how they often look to different areas and different industries for inspiration. So for example, we had a uh, my old digital marketing director at a previous job, we had him on second episode, and he spoke about how much he loves looking at the stuff that Neil deGrasse Tyson puts out. And even though space has you know nothing to do with digital marketing, unless you're marketing a space Facebook page, it's super valuable as far as staying creative and, and keeping that inspiration. 100%. Always love hearing inspiration and how people get inspired from a few different areas, people, hobbies, and resources. So let's start with people. Who would you say all time is your biggest professional influence? I... I- that's a good question. Thank you. But I think people, <laughs> I think people should be very careful about who influences them, right? Because yep. what can go on in the digital world right now? It's very easy for people to, you know, create this persona of who they are, right? And so, um, you you see folks who are you know posing in front of Lamborghinis, right, oh, in yeah. million dollar homes that are rented, <laughs> and then there are guys like you know. Gary Vaynerchuk, who I've known for quite some time and respect him a lot. And, and you know, he's sincere, but you never see him posing like that, right? You oh, see totally. him taking a picture and, and coach, right? right? I pay attention to a lot of the, the greats out there. I am a big fan. I just got done rereading a book called um, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by 
Vishan uh, Lakani. He is uh, the founder of Mind Valley. I like Bruce Van Horn. You know, he's an everyday entrepreneur. He's a life coach. I take in a lot of information, but I really protect, A, who I'm getting it from. Um, I make sure that they're positive, number one. Number two, I want to make sure that they've actually gotten punched in the face. Right. And to, primarily the folks listening to your show are entrepreneurs, correct? Business owners? Right. There's a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of creative business people that listen. Okay. So you do have that. So they need to be careful. That's my point. They need to be very careful with who they're taking advice from. You have a lot of folks out there that are an entrepreneur for you know two weeks. They've taken a course and now all of a sudden they're out there learning on your dime. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I can, you know, I've written about this in my most recent book. It's called Self-Employed. Now what the fuck? And, you know, the, the thing is, is um, I, for instance, back in 2009, I invested, you know, $3,000 in SEO a month. The guy said, you know, give him six months, it would work. And, um, you know, six months into it, I was the best client in the world. I kept my damn mouth quiet. And guess what? He was learning on my dime, didn't do anything. So I switched to another firm and, you know, same thing, wasted all this money, eventually figured, let me go out there and learn this myself so is that I can ask better questions for when I hire somebody. And, you know, like right now, again, uh, in this world, you've got folks putting out, you know, these profiles and, and you don't know who they are. So my best advice is if you're going to take information in, make sure that they've actually, you know, been out there in the real world and had some type of actual business and gotten punched in the face because, you know, right now we're on an eight year high of an economy that's, you know, been booming, right? Right around the corner. don't know when could be three months, could be 12 months from now, 18 months, we will see a dip. And that's where the true entrepreneurs are able to stand up and prevail because they've been through it before. Right. And they're ready for it. And you know, that's, that, that's my best advice. So whoever you're following, it doesn't matter. Just make sure they've been around the block a few times. Yeah, that's a great point. And as you were saying earlier, it is amazing how many people there are, especially on Instagram these days, that are just posts of Lamborghinis and Ferraris like crazy. And then you you dig a little into them and you're like, there's there's nothing here. You know, it's all for yep. it's all just for social. So gotta be very careful. And Gary V's awesome. I used to my old job, we used to work with his agency, and so I met him a bunch of times and he's a great guy. It's cool. I know you guys have a great relationship. Um always Glad to hear his name as well. Another note for that. How about resources? Is there any, do you have a favorite book or or magazine you like to read? So from a a book standpoint, I am consistently reading. Uh, Again, just now I told you I was rereading The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Um, I love The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Dr. Joseph Murphy. Um, it's a classic. Um, I listen to Audible on a regular basis. So this weekend I was listening to, it was a 16-hour course um, on Audible, and it's called uh, The Law of Attraction by, uh, The Ultimate Law of Attraction by Dr. Uh, Joe Vitale. Uh, so constantly always learning, again, and trying to maintain that positive side of life. Awesome. I've heard that Law of Attraction come up a lot. So moving on here, we're going to go to a segment called the unusual. So this is phrases, quirks, and pet peeves. Yeah, a little unusual, right? <laughs> First question, what's your biggest pet peeve? When people are late. To me, being on time is late. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I notice it not to smack down. Uh, I've been doing a lot of podcast interviews. One of mine is, you mentioned earlier, is what was it? Entrepreneur's GSD. And so, 
I've uh, been interviewing a lot of folks and I notice, um, you know, when folks come on, I, I notice the older ones I interview are always there when I sign in. So if I have a 1030 appointment at 1028, when I sign in, they're there already. Right. But then when I notice I interview a lot of the younger folks, sometimes it's, you know, they'll be there a few minutes late. And again, it's just that to me is a, a pet peeve that me and my um, partner in this business laugh at all the time, because uh, it's something we, we have a calendar and we, we actually keep it in Trello to say who was on time and who was late. And it's just a, it's a funny joke between the two of us. All right. So for all all future reference, do not be late to the meeting with Mike. <laughs> Any quirks, anything that you like to do or a habit that you do that somebody's mentioned to you before and said, yeah, that's kind of bizarre. I, I open doors with my shirt. Freaks the hell out of people. They think I'm <laughs> OCD, but you know, I am kind of OCD. So I, I, um, I knock on wood, have not been sick in um, I don't even know, well over a dozen years. I just don't get sick. Um, I treat my body very well. I'm cautious with everything I do. I'm up early every morning. I go on a two-hour walk before the day begins. Um, the first hour of it, it's pitch blackout, and then you start to watch the sun come up. I love it. You know, Half of that walk is done in silence and just thinking, and the other half is done through taking in content, whether it's an audible book or a podcast or what have you. Um, and I do the same every night. So I walk close to 15,000 steps uh, a day during the week. Uh, and then on the weekend, I average anywhere between what's called 22 to sometimes 30,000 steps for the day just because I'm out and uh, walking around. So folks think I'm crazy, but uh, and I'm known in my community as the guy that just walks aimlessly, but uh, I'm thinking constantly. <laughs> so walking and thinking. Yes. That's a good thing to have. And we'll recognize you if we ever see you around and we see a door open with, uh, and you can't see the hand behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's go. So we got a little bit of time left here. Let's go to some rapid fire Q&A. You up for it? Yep, right away. All right. This is oddly specific to our current conversation. Favorite animal besides a koala or a hippo? A bunny rabbit. I have one hopping around my house right now. He's uh, potty trained and um, you'll see pictures of him on Instagram and everywhere. He is the best little thing in the world. Never thought I'd love a bunny so much, but my daughter always wanted one. Wouldn't get her one for eight years. Ended up getting her one and the family's fallen in love with it. Awesome. That's amazing. We'll have to get him on next time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Favorite type of music? I love all music, but the best and ultimate uh, is al anything alternative. Awesome. Do you have any favorite artists? acoustic guitar just listening to somebody love Coldplay um, love Hinder love Elvis Frank Sinatra uh, Michael Buble so you can see I can love everything from the 60s all the way up to today yeah that's perfect favorite TV show of all time Apprentice favorite place you've ever traveled to Woo, Maui <laughs> I think that deserves a woo. <laughs> yeah I love it there it's absolutely beautiful I've been to every state here in the U.S. Wow. And I've never been outside the U.S. How's that? And actually not Alaska. So that's, yeah, I've never left the U.S., but I've been everywhere but Alaska. No way. Yep. Yes. And uh, plan on next year uh, once uh, this company, Dinner Table MBA, is uh, stable and has systems in place, um, we'll probably um, rent an RV and um, drive throughout the u.s with my uh kids for three weeks next summer that's the goal oh that's amazing that's the american dream right <laughs> right watch the movie rv and that will be my family <laughs> do you have a favorite spot in the u.s besides maui 
I love my backyard here. I'm in Tampa, Florida, and there's, you know, I'm from Jersey, New York, if you can't tell from the accent, but, uh, you know, moved down here and uh, it's, we love it. It's, it's just, it's a great area. It's uh, beautiful. Uh, you're near the beach and just, you know, can, you know, again, like I mentioned, I walk all the time. I'm outdoor riding bikes. It's beautiful. There's lakes, there's ocean, there's sun, there's palm trees, and there's nothing to, to dislike. That's awesome. And I knew you were from greater NYC area. Do you have a favorite thing to do in NYC? I'm not sure how often you come here. Yeah, Central Park. I love going out and renting. Uh, there's a, If you go to the boathouse there, you can rent a, uh, a rowboat uh, for, I don't know, it's a couple, you know, 20 bucks, let's call it 30, 40, whatever it is. It's cheap. Grab a six pack or a bottle of wine and it's a, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, it's amazing, especially right now during the summertime. It's the best. Oh my God, it's empty in the city. That's why I love it. Right. Yeah. That's why I'm still here. There's barely anybody else here. Okay. Last question. Favorite podcast that's not your own and not the Wild Business Growth Podcast? Yeah. It's, um, I've got so many. I mean, I do love um, Neil Patel and Eric Sue's uh, marketing school. It's, you know, again, it's similar to Entrepreneurs GSD. And I started one called The Powerhouse Family that's really short. Um, I really do enjoy it because it's only six minutes um, tops. It's typically four to five, and it's really good. Oh, that's perfect. So you like short podcasts, I'm guessing. Exactly. Short and to a point, but I listen to ones that are an hour too. So, you know, Neil, uh, I, I listen to Michael Stelzner, social media examiner. He's got a good one. And mm-hmm. again, if you were to look at my Stitcher thing, I've probably got, you know, I don't even know how many this morning. I listened to Bruce Van Horn on just, you know, the different types of fear and how to handle that in your life. Uh, addicted to success, uh, you know. Yeah, there's just a ton of mixergy. Um, I could go on and on and on. If you were to look at mine, you'd be like, oh my God. But it, it's, it, I love learning. Absolutely. I think that's such, a, that's such a common trait that you see in so many entrepreneurs is always learning. There's just no, you know, it's not like you just go to school and finish high school and college and then, or MBA and just stop. It's, there's so much to learn and 100%. So many great resources and so many great audio resources now, which makes it easier. I agree. So, okay. So I, I think we can, wrap up now that was great uh mike thank you so much for for coming on this was um, an amazing conversation and really really enjoyed hearing about your story and super excited to to share it with the world here before i forget i want to make sure we highlight some of your businesses can you share where's the best place to reach you and uh where's the best place to to get in contact with your businesses yeah so if you want to uh check out dinner table mba anybody that's you know uh has a child or is involved in raising a child, I think, you know, um, should definitely check that out. It's dinner table MBA. I'm very active on, um, obviously Twitter. It's Mike Koala and I have a daily podcast and it's called the powerhouse family. Definitely give it a listen, leave it a review. It's two minutes a day. It's a joke, some dad humor, something new and cool that makes you go, Ooh, and a moment to be grateful each day. So, uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Awesome. The moment to make you go, ooh. <laughs> Something new that makes you go, ooh. <laughs> right. And you obviously, your, your Twitter's huge. Um, Instagram, we'll, we'll post all the links in the show notes so everybody can access you there. Sounds great. Perfect. Last thing I want to end on, do you have a either a favorite quote or just a final thought that you want to end on and leave your impart your wisdom on every, all the listeners? Sure. Imperfect action beats perfect in action. So, you know, good is better than great. Hesitation is the enemy of success. So you get to drift. Uh, if, if you're itching to do something, just leap and build the wings on the way down. You'll be able to do it. Don't worry about it. That was perfect, if I must say. 
So there you have it. That was the Koala Hippo Experience. I hope it was everything you always dreamed of. That was my koala. If you enjoyed anything from that episode, if you learned anything about entrepreneur, entrepreneur, etc., please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Really, really appreciate it. If you have any ideas for future guests on the podcast or any feedback on the show, make sure to reach out to us on all your favorite social media channels with the handle HippoDirect. And also, if you enjoy any of the creative marketing topics we've been discussing on this Wild Business Growth Podcast, sign up for the Hippo Digest. It's your free weekly recap of creative marketing. And you can sign up right on our website at hippodirect.com slash newsletter. We'll catch you next time on the Wild Business Code Podcast. Let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!